Yep. Oh, that is seriously one of the coolest scenes ever, huh? Golly. I know, I know what you're thinking. Shut up, show the rest of the movie, huh? <laughs> Get your own copy. Uh, no, I, I love that. I love that scene. Man, I love that scene. Red pill, blue pill. I saw something first service I'd never seen before that in his sunglasses, there's the red pill and the blue pill. Did you notice that, huh? Okay, I've seen that movie way too many times, I admit it. It is one of my favorite movies of all times because not, I'm not a sci-fi guy, but this particular movie, I think, is amazing on what it tells and, and communicates regarding spiritual things. Last week we looked at Jesus is talking to a group of people, and we're going to pick it up right where we're going to actually be about four weeks or so in just this one conversation. It's too long for us to cover just from John chapter 8. Last week we were looking at this where he's talking about a, a, two different things going on here. This thing called the world, and Jesus has his kingdom, and they, they are in opposition to one another. The world is the matrix, man. The world is the matrix. If you're familiar with the movie, if you're not, the world gives you all these things that will tell you that they'll satisfy, all these things they tell you to chase after, all these things they tell you to avoid that are in opposition to the kingdom. They're completely... And everything he says there, all I offer you is the truth. You take the blue pill, you take the red pill, I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And then probably the best line ever. What does this all mean? And then when that guy looks over and says, this means to buckle your seatbelts, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. That's a great line, man. Uh, you can feel free to use that anytime you'd like. Um, I often do. <laughs> We're in the, in the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been here. We've actually spent more time uh, preaching through this series than John took writing it. So, uh, and that would include if there were many edits. We're already a year in. We're only in the first eight chapters. But we're going to finish it all next week, chapters 9 to 21. I'm just kidding. Uh, it'll, it'll be a while. We're going to be in the Gospel of John a while. What a great place to be, though. And last week we met some characters who uh, Jesus had come back to the temple courts if you recall, there was a big feast going on. Jesus was there for a week. And at the end of that week, uh, there's these ceremonies regarding these lights that's going on. This one courtyard, the courtyard of the women, uh, would have, uh, they would have four different big stands. And each one of these huge stands would have huge bowls on them filled with oil. And in the evening time, they would do this ceremony where they would light them all up. They would go against the, the, the temple court. Uh, walls, which were high limestone walls, and it would just light up everything. And to a culture that didn't have any electricity, this would have been an awesome, awesome sight. Jesus then has the crowd there after that event at some point. We don't know exactly when, but he's in back in that same temple courtyard, and he starts to teach them. This conversation, if you remember last week, we called it the Matrix. The Welcome to the Matrix, John chapter 8. It's this weird conversation. This week I'm going to call it Conversation of the Weird. That's what the whole thing is going to be. All of John chapter 8 is this weird conversation between Jesus and these Jewish people who've come to listen to him. Last week, he makes a statement. He says, uh, he begins to teach them in John chapter 8. Here's the statement that started all off. Jesus spoke to the people and says, he said, I'm the light of the world. Now, remember that ceremony that just happened? Where, now, we don't know if it happened during that, but it would have, would have brought that to their mind. They would have been able to see the, the big uh, uh, candelabra type things. They would have been able to see them, whether it was daytime or night. We don't know. But when he said that, it would have made sense to them. He says, I'm the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a radical statement Jesus is making. And it's a bomb. He drops this bomb there with all these people. You know what? You talk about God being the light. Guess what? I'm right here. There's a claim to divinity. We looked at that last week. I won't spend all the time. It's online. Listen to it online. The, the, how that proves that Jesus is making a claim of divinity. I am God. I'm standing right here. Now, here's where the conversation gets weird. I'm going to take just 30 seconds. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to take 30 seconds to summarize because it's really important as we launch into where we're going today. They reply back. If you remember, here's a summary of everything. They reply back. You do not have enough witnesses. You can't make a claim like, I'm God all by yourself. Jesus replies back. He could have replied a bunch of different ways. I have a lot of witnesses. I got John the Baptist. I got my disciples. I've got the people who've been following me. I've got the, uh, the 5,000 that I fed fish and loaves. Go check the refrigerators. There's probably still some left in it. All this stuff going on. Any of that. He doesn't do that. He says, I got two witnesses. I only need two. Tell you what, I only need one because I'm God. But I'll give you two. I'm the son and the Father will testify to me. That's two out of three people of the Trinity. That's enough. Trumps anything else you want. You need two witnesses. I got one. God the Father on the throne. The Son who's come down. They respond back with, who's your daddy? Remember that? Where's your father? Weird. Jesus then makes another statement. The second statement is, I'm leaving. When I do leave, I'm, I'm going away. And if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. It is a huge warning. If you don't follow me, you're going to die in your sins. They reply back with, are you going to kill yourself? He replies back, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not, I'm not going to kill myself, but you're going to die if you don't follow me. If you don't trust me. If you don't put your faith in me as your sin bearer, you'll die in your sins. They reply back with, who are you? And he says, I am just who I've always been claiming to be. Now, here, here's the reason why it's important. Verse 30 of that conversation we had last week, verse 12 to 30 of chapter 8, this is how it closes. Even as he spoke, so he's speaking to this crowd, and people are just throwing all these objections at him. Even as he speaks, some of those people, it says many, put their faith in him. That's amazing to me. In spite of all this objections that are happening, people put their faith in him. All right, we're going to pick it up there. If you want to grab a Bible, you can do that. Or there's an insert that has the verses we're going to look at today. Or you can look at the screen or whatever, whatever gives you joy. That's fine with me. We're going to conversation of the weird resumes. All right, you ready? Here we go. Big claim number two. To the Jews... Who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, who is he talking to here? He is talking to the Jews who had believed him. It's very important, and it's also going to be very sad in just a minute. So he's looking at a crowd. See a crowd like this. I don't know how many people out here. Let's say there's six. He's looking out, six people out here, there's a large crowd, and three of them, or whatever, are really believing. The other three are being objective, that's a bad number. 600, 300 of them are believing, or whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. There's a bunch of people that are believing in Jesus, and he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Okay, so that's, that's not a weird thing to say. Uh, any rabbi would have said that. 
If you hold to my teaching, you're a, you're a follower of me. That's a good thing. You should be a follower of me. If you hold to my teaching, you're a follower of me. Becoming a true disciple of Jesus is not about a one-time decision. It's not. I, I dare you to find that anywhere in Scripture. Romans 10, anyone who calls the name of the Lord should be saved. I totally believe that. But read that in the, con in the context of Romans 6, 7, and 8. Anyway, you, I, those of you are objecting to what I just said. It is never about a one-time decision. It starts with a one-time decision. Just, just like getting married starts with a one-time decision. Right? Getting to know my wife. We dated. We, we, we got engaged. I come to a point where I said, we'll be married. One-time decision. Definitely. Don't hear me misspeak that. But by the fact that I have a, a good marriage is not because, you know, if I'm never there and I never enter into her life and I don't help with the kids and I, I, I don't do whatever and I don't let her win at Scrabble even though I could kick her butt anytime I want to. <laughs> Pastors can't lie, can they? No, I can't win at Scrabble with my life. I had to cheat when we first got, remember that? Not cheat, but I lied to her. I think lying in games is an okay thing. I, 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 uh... <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, we'd never forget that. I, I, we were only married a couple months, and I put down, I had a cue. You know, you know, you like to have the cue? I had a cue. What do you do with the cue? So I wrote the word quilb. Q-U-I-L-B, and she goes, quilb? I said, yeah, yeah, it's the part of a sailing ship, you know, out front, with a, you know where that person is? That's the quilb. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if that was a gift from God or from the enemy, but it came to me, and I said it. <laughs> so she said, Okay. Yeah. Later she looks it up, she goes, you lied to me. I said, of course I did. It's just a game. I married a liar. She starts freaking out. It's taken 18 years to fix that. That's a serious regression. I, I digression there. Uh, uh, the point being is if I'm not doing that, if I'm not entering into her life, what kind of marriage do you have? Is that a marriage? Or is it just two people living in the same house? Jesus says this, if you, you really want to be my disciple, you hold my teaching. You hold my teaching. Then he says this, and here's where he drops the bomb with them. That they would have expected to come. Then he says this, then you will know the truth. Not a truth, not some truth. Then you will know the truth. Here's the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. Then, by the way, it's in that order. First you hold fast, you follow Jesus, you obey him. Then you're going to know the truth. And the other benefit is, and you'll be set free. The truth, once you know the truth, it'll set you free. Kansas is going bye-bye. I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole is. The truth will be exposed, and you'll be set free. Okay? Now, so here's these people. It said, even as he's speaking these words... Some are putting their faith in him, it says. The blue pill and the red pill are there, and they're going, I think the red pill is the way to go. I believe that. They haven't taken it yet, though. You're going to see that in the first word in the next, next section. Go to that section, verse 33. They answered him. Now, we are Abraham's descendants. And have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Again, it's not, 
Jesus, what do you mean here? It's kind of confusing. Because Jesus is. Jesus says things in sentences that we're going to look at one later where the Apostle Paul takes like 20 verses to get at the point. Jesus says it in a sentence, and he is that way. He, he kind of drops it out there and see, sees if you how you're going to respond, whether or not he's going to give you more. And they don't ask, Jesus, man, that's, this is a great teaching. Toss me a bone here. I want to learn more. Help me out. They don't say that. They said, hey, 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 hey. We are Abraham's descendants. How can you say, how, how, can you, how can you dare to say that we should be set free? All right? They're saying, we've we never been slaves of anyone. Now, those of you who are Jewish scholars in the room, anyone? Anyone? Okay. Uh, then I could say whatever I want. <laughs> Just kidding. The, uh, those of you who are Jewish scholars or even a little bit should know that that is the most ridiculous statement probably ever said. We are Abraham's sons have never been slaves of anyone. Hello? You've been slaves your entire existence. You know, the whole Charlton Heston thing, getting them out of, getting them out of uh, you know, Moses taking them out of there, that promise is 400 years there. Then, I got a list, I got a list, I got a list. Um, the, the, eight, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persian, Alexander the Great, and the Greek, Alexander the Great with the Greek Empire, uh, the Ptolemies, the Syrian Empire, and right as they're speaking, as they're standing there, hello, you're under Roman rule, I, that, 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 that boggles my brain. We've never been slaves of anyone. I, what are you, stupid? Now, Jesus isn't talking about politically, but they think he is, and so that's a really stupid, stupid thing to say. How can you say, are we really slaves? Jesus' answer is, yep, yar. <laughs> Verse 34. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, think about that for a second. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, you are a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He says, you know, permanent, if, if you're a slave, guess what? Uh, you don't have a permanent place in the family. In other words, slaves are owned. They're not adopted. And I, and I think of one of the worst things in our country was the African slave trade. Terrible. Horrible. And they, and they treated them like property because that's what they were in their mind. I'm not saying that ever should have been. The Bible doesn't make that claim. The Bible just says slavery has been going on forever and I'm going to use it as an analogy so you understand they understood. They understand well what slavery was, given their history. They were in slavery multiple times. You don't have a meal and say, great, let's bring out the slave and have him sit here and you know, have him eat the macaroni and cheese with us. Slaves don't eat macaroni and cheese with the family. They eat... <laughs> that was a bad way to go. We've got to get something lower than macaroni and cheese. Uh, ramen. ramen noodles, thank you. Help from the crowd, thank you. The, the uh, ramen noodles out in the back room with the other slaves. You don't eat with the family if you're a slave. That's not the way it goes. You're stuck in that. You don't have choices. In our country, to our shame, we took families and broke them apart. Why? Because they're property. A slave does not make decisions regarding himself. You're, you're owned by someone else. Jesus says this. He said, everyone who sins, slave to sin. You are bought and paid for by sin. You are in it. You're not getting out of it. You're enslaved to it. 
Then he says this. So if the Son sets you free, we're going to look at how Paul expanding on this in just a minute. If he buys you, you're free. Now, big question here is, what is, it, what, is it, what is this whole slave to sin thing? What's he getting at? What Jesus says in a sentence or two here, Paul says in about, uh, I got 18 verses here or whatever, um, 17 verses, 18, inclusive, that's right. So if, if, you don't have to flip there, just look at the screen. Paul's going to talk in Romans 6, and, and it's hard for me to believe, and I don't have any proof of this, so don't, you know, uh, you can email me, cor at hopecc.com is my email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't approve of this, but it seems to me that Paul had read this, or Jesus said this, because he brings up this exact same imagery. Romans chapter 6, Paul's writing a letter to the Romans. It's his Magna Carta of Christian theology. If God gives me enough breath, someday I want to preach through the, through the book of Romans. I've got to wait till Piper's done with it, though, so I know what to say. Um, <laughs> Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sins. You see that? There's, Paul says there's, an, there's a way out of slavery. You can, you can you, know, you know, he doesn't use the runaway analogy here. You can be bought or you can die. It's one way out, right? You're no longer a slave. I mean, wouldn't be a very good slave. Want to chop that wood? Just kind of laying there, doesn't really, decaying, not doing anything. Ooh. Um, but you're, if you're dead, you're done being a slave. Now, if we died with Christ, he's saying, if you come to a point in your life, you trust Jesus Christ, what actually happened, not to go into it too much here, what actually happened is at the death of Jesus Christ, you died. And your allegiances are shift from sin to Christ. It's an amazing theological concept, the death with Christ. Now, if we died with Christ, we, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why? Because he's not your master anymore. Stop it. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies anymore so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. There's that analogy again. Sin is a master. He owns you. He's not your master anymore because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Then Paul asks a great question. What then? Because I'm, not under, because I'm not under law, but under grace. He goes, shall we sin then? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. 
Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Did you catch that? There was no way. You had one master. When you were a slave to sin, you couldn't have any control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, here's the word, slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen in this room, you are going to be a slave of something. You don't have a choice. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. You're owned by one or the other. It, it just, it, it's just it. What's the benefits of just saying, you know what, man, what's the benefits of staying in this slavery relationship with sin? kind of like it. It's kind of fun. I do whatever I want. The wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. Now what is death? Death is separation from life. Do you know that every time you sin, actually you're dying? That there's a death happening? You're separating yourself from life. You're thinking this is giving you life. You're taking a big drink out of the fountain you think will just satisfy your soul. And you go like that and it's nothing but air. It's nothing but air. You think it'll satisfy. Oh man, this will feel so good. Man, the porn that I just so love, it'll feed me, it'll feed my soul, and it doesn't. Purpose of sex, Genesis chapter 2, is to end aloneness. Being on your computer screen looking at pornography, it makes you more alone. Every time you sin, and no matter whatever it is, you, 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 become, more, you become more alone. You become more dead. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous preacher and um, English guy. And he used to use this analogy when he would talk about this concept. He used to talk about, in the English countryside, they like to build walls. He said, you couldn't, you, I don't know why, he says, people buy land, I think, just to make walls. The English love to build walls. They have big stone walls that look like this. And uh, they may have field stone or flat stone or whatever, but these huge walls, this one happens to be high and it'll work for my analogy a little bit better. But, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he used this analogy, and he said, it's kind of like this. You have two fields that are put up, you have two uh, plantations or farms put up against one another and a huge wall in between. And every one of us, by nature and by choice, we are born into it. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve. We are put right on this side. We are all on this farm, on this plantation, slaves to sin. Sin is our master. Satan loves it. You're there. You're born there. That's where everybody starts. Nobody gets a pass. Except for Jesus Christ. Nobody else gets a pass. You all start there. You're on this plantation. And you're wandering around the plantation. And, and at first it seems fine. Then all of a sudden you start to realize, man, I'm just a slave. Slavery? This is terrible. Who wants that? And you're wandering on the plantation. All of a sudden you come to this wall. 
You see this huge wall, and you, you didn't even know it was there. You hadn't gotten that far on the, on the plantation. And when you get close to the wall, you can hear something on the other side of the wall. And it's the other master of the other plantation. And you'd never heard him before. You're thinking, wow, this is great. I, I'm close enough where now I can hear this other guy. So you're close enough to this, this other plantation, and you're hearing him, and he's saying words about, I can, I can set you free. Just trust in me. Trust in me as your master. Change your allegiance from this plantation to me, and I'll set you free. And you say to yourself, well, this stinks. I don't want to be over here. Sounds good. I want to. And as much as you know, you open your heart up and say, new master, I want to follow you. At that moment, you didn't even know it was there, but this door opens opens the door, and you're able to walk into the other plantation, and, the, and the, the door closes, and you're now on the other side. You've been set free from being in slavery on this side, and now you're on the other side under a new master. And you think it's great, and you're wandering around over there, it's great, and then one day you kind of wander back close to the wall again, and guess what you hear? The other master on the other side. You hear this master on the other side telling you things about how to find life. Here's the way, remember, remember, oh, this was great over here before. Remember when you just were wanted, looked out for number one? Nobody's looking out for you over there. I mean, they're asking you to look out for the needs of others. Come on, over here, look out for number one, you better. Come on. I'm like, we'll get smashed. We'll just, we'll have a great time. We'll party. Uh, it'll just be a fun time. Come on back over. Think about it. And you're next to that wall and you're thinking about obeying that other master again. The question Martin Lloyd joins, he would ask two. First of all, is which side of the fence are you on? Which side of the fence you were on? These Jewish people had come right up to it. They said they had put, they started to put their faith in him, and then Jesus gives them a little pushback saying, here's the deal. If you want to follow me, you've got to come all the way. There's no halfway. There's no halfway. It, 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 it's zero or one to use computer language. It's, it's one or not. Are you going to go or are you not? And he says, you got to follow me. You'll know truth and I'll set you free. And they say, hey, 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 hey. Who are you talking about? We're not, we're not under slavery. First thing to acknowledge with Jesus Christ is that you're a sinner. Not just that you've sinned, but you're a sinner. Jesus can't cure you of sin if you don't acknowledge it. It's like going into a cancer ward. Somebody says, dude, I've got the cure for cancer. Well, great. Well, I don't have cancer. Well, you're laying there in a hospital bed. You've been on chemo for months. You have cancer. No, I don't. They come right to that point, and they just lean against the wall on the wrong side. The question first is, which side of the fence are you on? Have you come to the point in your life where you're opening the door of your life? Not just lip service. Not just pray a prayer. But a heartfelt thing where you say, Jesus Christ I am switching allegiances here from what this world, the matrix, to you. I'm wanting, I want to see how deep the rabbit hole is. I'm taking the red pill. Have you come to that point? The first question. The second question is, which master are you living to? Do you know it's possible to be on this side of the wall and still be listening constantly to that master? You're close enough you can hear him speaking. You can be on this side, but why in the world are you listening to that? Now think about that for a second. If you're up against the wall here, and that's what many of us struggle with. It's a daily struggle. Welcome to the Christian life. It's a daily struggle to not listen to this other master speaking to you. You constantly have to be listening to this master. 
as this master over here is speaking, and you decide, yeah, yeah, that is what will give me life. I will do that. And you follow it. That's called sin. It's not looking to God. It's looking to anything else to fill you. Adam and Eve in the garden. You will be filled with knowledge if you just eat this fruit. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. Whatever the fruit is for you. I could list a thousand things. You, you know what they are. Things in your life you wrestle with. Whatever it is that you're giving, that, that they're trying to have you fill you up. If that's something other than Christ, it's sin. It can be going to a baseball game. It can look really good. Be getting married, having kids. Have a good job. That can look really good. But if it's filling you, it's an idol. Okay, if that's there, and you're on this side of the fence, you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, i got bad news for you. The bad news is it will never satisfy you. It never really satisfies on this side, but you don't know the difference. If you're on this side of the fence, you've decided to follow Christ. When you don't, it's dry. Every time you drink, it's dry. It stinks. I remember when I came to Christ, and I started getting involved in things that I did before I was a Christian. And I was like, geez, these things stink now. I'm not even getting any pleasure out of them. They just make me feel worse. Which master are you listening to? Now, let me speak real bluntly here about something. Corey and I see people all the time. We deal with things in our own lives. You probably have things that seem like if you're on this side of the fence, I'm going to speak to people who have come to that point, taken the red pill, decided, yes, Jesus Christ, I want to follow you with all my heart. As much as I know how, I accept your death on the cross. You, you are my substitute. You can take my sin. I will take your life. I know I'm forgiven of my sin. I'm up against this wall at times. I listen to the other side. And there's times where you feel in bondage. You feel like you, there's no way out. You feel like, you know what, I will never get over this. Let me just speak real bluntly to you. That is a lie. The, the word says clearly, if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth. And the truth will kind of set you free a little bit, but not in every area. No! The truth will set you free. Do you, do you know that it is com completely possible to walk every minute and not sin against Christ. Otherwise, this doesn't make any sense. I have at any moment the choice before me to choose life or ways of death. Some decisions are bigger than others. You, I don't care what it is you brought in here this morning. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how addicted to meth you are. There is life. Otherwise, this makes no sense whatsoever. You are set free, and it is a lie from the pit that that's not true. It is BS. And we believe it. Don't believe it. It'll ruin you. It'll take you, oh, you know, I know, I, I just suck. I just can't get over this thing. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with you. If you're my follower, you hold my teaching, you'll know the truth. And then the truth, plus a lot of your effort and you really work hard, will set you free. No, just the truth will set you free. There's power in knowing Jesus Christ that far exceeds anything that you could ever muster up. Oh, I'm just going to really, really try hard not to do that anymore. Forget that. Let the truth and the power of God set you free. Now, I'm sure that happens in ways of being accountable to other people and, and, and prayer and, and groups. They're great support groups. and I'd say it's essential to it. But ultimately, the power comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing it, it'll flip your world upside down. It'll change you completely. 
Let me close with a couple questions. First one. Are you holding on to Jesus' teaching? That's what he says the mark of a disciple is. The mark of a disciple, if you hold to my teaching, then you are truly my disciple. Not if you sing real good, not if you're part of a church or part of a campus group or part of a Bible study. If you hold to my teaching, my life verse is Ezra 7.10. Ezra 7.10 says this, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra, but you see, it doesn't just start where you're a teacher. It starts where you first soak yourself in this thing. We all fall woefully short of this, of course. But are you at least eating something? Or are you just relying on, on Sunday mornings or a Bible study that someone else is, you know, you're not getting into the word yourself. Are, are you eating it? Are you devouring it? Are you taking Jesus' words and saying, oh, that's so awesome that you said you're the bread of life. What does that mean for me? How would that look this week? How did it help me to overcome this situation where I can't stand my coworker? I'd love to choke him to death. How can you be the bread of life for me there, Jesus? Are you taking time to hold fast to it? Then it says obey. Obey means obey. <laughs> obey means follow. Even when it hurts. Especially when it hurts. <clears throat> Are you holding onto Jesus' teaching? And the last thing is, are you free? Are you free? And are you living like it? I talk to so many Christians who feel that the victorious Christian life is a joke. There's no way they can overcome any sin. And in one sense, that's true. You can't come overcome sin. It's only as you listen to your new master, and he helps you. Are you free? This morning, if you're sitting there and you feel in bondage or something, I just can't, I just can't. There's just no way. Hear me, hear me. And I, I know I yelled. Uh, I'm yelling at myself too, because I need to hear that loud, that it's a lie. It's a lie. I don't care what it feels like. I do not care what it feels like. It's a lie. It is the matrix. And that I am free. I'm free from this stuff. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, I, I love the fact that we can come to you in our hour of need. We can come to you at any time. And you are the one who sets us free. Lord, in this room, there are people that uh, feel like they're in bondage. Lord, if they're not yet a person who's taken the red pill, if they're not a person who's yet made a decision that they want to trust in you and hold fast your teaching. God, they are in bondage. But God, there's hope for them too. There's hope that they can take that pill. They can say, Jesus Christ, I am changing masters today and I'm letting you be my master. Lord, if there's people in this room who at this moment would like to do that, would you just give them the courage right now to step out of the one plantation and into the other right now they would trust in your finished work on the cross and they'd say, Jesus Christ, you died on the cross. My penalty, I'm the one who should be there and you did it for me and I will take that. I want to follow you all my days. Lord God, if, 
If there are people in this room, Lord, right now, that, that you'd give them the grace and the courage to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Lord, I also pray for people in this room who perhaps weeks ago or months ago or in some cases for many of us it was decades ago where we first decided we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and at times we wander so close back to that wall and we listen constantly to the other master. God, today, today can be a a day of freedom. John 8, 32 is as true today as the day you spoke it. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lord, in this room right now by your Holy Spirit and the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I pray that the freedom would happen. Freedom from addiction, freedom from chemical abuse, freedom from sexual abuse, freedom from past experiences, freedom from perhaps being raped, freedom from pornography, freedom from lying, freedom from stealing, freedom freedom from being a gossip, a slanderer, hatred from anger, whatever it be, God, by your spirit, you can grant freedom. We pray for that power course through our veins. None of us wants to give any pleasure to our old master. We hate him. Jesus Christ, just come as we sing these last songs and minister to us and set us free. We pray in Jesus' name.